Just to remind you, we are now on Stitcher and TuneIn, so feel free to listen to us and rate us on those platforms. If you have any suggestions or comments, you can contact us at suggestions at lifenarrated.com. Listeners, and welcome to Life Narrated, the podcast about life and the stories we tell. My name is Emily, and I am a culturally bounded mental illness. My name is Lauren, and I'm a necropant seamstress. My name is Matt, and I'm a fetish object. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about magical systems in storytelling. But before we do that, I wanted to kind of go over magical systems in an anthropological sense. <laughs> By anthropological standards, there are basically two different kinds of magical systems. So there's sympathetic magic and there's contagious magic. So sympathetic magic is something that you would understand works with a voodoo doll. A like calls to like, an image of somebody, and you do something to that image, changes the person. So like a voodoo doll. Yes, or, like a voodoo uh, doll. <clears throat> or like another like example is using like, like a like a bowl of water in a ritual that's supposed to help make it rain. Yeah, yeah, like calls to like. Whatever you have, you want to affect the other, you know, more of it, basically. Okay. And that's and sympathetic second, magic. That is sympathetic magic. So that is a lot of imagery, like icons and things like that. And contagious magic is very similar, and they're kind of connected, but they're... There are distinctions. Contagious magic um, is based on the principle that things or persons once in contact can afterwards influence each other. So in other words, it, um, it is believed that uh, there is a permanent relationship between an individual and any part of his or her body. As a consequence, believers must take special precautions with their hair, fingernails, teeth, clothes, whatever. Uh, if, any, if anyone who means them harm like obtains these objects, magic can be performed on them, which can cause the person harm. So they're kind of similar, um, and like I've seen voodoo dolls that have like you know locks of people's hair, not real. Voodoo I was just dolls, about to say that's like a super powered voodoo doll because it's like sympathetic magic, magic, but also contagious and magic. contagious magic. Yeah, yeah. They're and, super um, powering their voodoo doll. <laughs> yeah. So as we go forward, I kind of wanted to talk, just kind of compare these magical systems to that. There's also a third, which is divination, which is kind of different. And that is when shamans usually go into a trance to find answers from spiritual helpers. Or, for instance, the ancient Romans used to um, use augurs who would cut open chickens or goats or whatever and read the contents of their livers, which was supposed to tell them the future. Or like oracles too, right? Which would be like women who were like priestesses who the gods would talk to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They used to drug pre, yeah. They used to drug preteen girls and kind of let them talk and like take <laughs> let something them babble around. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and like <clears throat> just all sorts of things. I, I mean, divination is popular in the United States today. You have palm readers everywhere. Tarot. People who do tarot cards in societies that uh, witchcraft is prevalent in. A lot of things that we would just consider bad luck or happenstance are attributed to like witchcraft. 
So you're out in the middle of the night going to the bathroom and you trip over a chair and break your leg. Then you're like, oh, I mean, in someone in a society where you don't really think of witchcraft, you just be like, well, crap, that was stupid or that was such bad luck. But in a society of witchcraft, they would be examining who, why them, why it happened to them and why it happened now. Kind of. Hmm. They just assume someone had it out for them. And so they, they witchcraft. Yeah. And uh, witchcraft in a lot of ways doesn't, you know, help society. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for instance, in Nigeria, folk, uh, there is a belief that people who are albino have magical powers. And so using that idea and, I guess... Machetes. Contagious magic, sympathetic <laughs> magic. What did you say? Using that idea and machetes. <laughs> and machetes. Um, yeah, they often murder people who are albino and use their parts for magical spells. And there's actually a word in... Um, well, this is specifically in Tanzania because they have the highest number of albinos in Africa. There's a word for murder for magical or medicinal purposes, which is moody. Wow. So they, like, have a word that, <laughs> you know, this ha- <clears throat> It's so weird. And a piece of a, a albino person can fetch up to $75,000 on the black market. Just one piece? Just one piece. Oh, man. You that's, don't even need a whole one. That's crazy. If I was an albino I mean, and person... The, and then when you think about two... I cut off my I'm own sorry, thing, but like, I, I was thinking, like, just... Yeah, like, if you think about rituals, like, you know, it's like, okay, just a piece of him is this much, but, like, if, you know, it's just like, but, like, I'm sure there are parts that are seen to have more significance, so, like, if someone's, like, like, they're, like you were saying, like, their liver or their heart or something, like, I can't yeah. even imagine, like, you know, how much yeah. people would charge because that's, like, a better part <laughs> for whatever. If I was an albino person in Nigeria, I would probably cut off my pinky and be like, $75,000, please. Because that would t- go a long way. In, in <laughs> it's like women Nigeria. selling their eggs. It's like, well, if yeah. I choose to do it, then it's fine. <laughs> I'm going to moldy myself. <laughs> <I'm> gonna... <laughs> well, in, in Tanzania, people have, like, bound together in solitude <laughs> so that they will not be, like, murdered. So, like, there are whole communities of uh, albino people in Tanzania that just like don't accept outsiders and they're just sounds like a don't want to be they don't want to be murdered they don't want to be moodied <laughs> Is that's that right they don't want to be moodied I don't know <laughs> it's not an English word so that's so anyway. sad though because now these people are being treated like like these <clears throat> like literal unicorns like people unicorns right like they're seen as just this object of of magic as opposed to like a human being yeah, that's um, very sad. absolutely, very and that's sad. yeah, that's not the only you know instance of that happening. There is an instance, a couple instances of um, girls in India who've been born with four arms, mm-hmm. which is yeah a mutation clearly, but they're you know being treated as goddesses, which I mean we can debate the pros and cons of that later, but just <laughs> you know let's just let's just say there's probably a lot of very unreasonable expectations. Like, right. put onto these children. Um, yeah. Like, they probably get, like, uh, offerings and stuff, which might be, it might seem kind of cool, but then also if it, right, if it doesn't rain for, like, two months, you know. Yeah. They get moody. Well, they, can- they get moodied. Well, also, I mean, 
not only unreasonable expectations, but there are people who are like, she's not a goddess, and are violently opposed to the idea of other people worshipping her as a goddess. And so, obviously, you know, that can be dangerous. Right. Or, like, if there's a doctor who was like, medically, this is very dangerous for this person to to be, like, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm sure that there are doctors who would argue that, like, oh, like, you, this child could undergo surgery to, you know, try to, like, correct... Um, you know, the genetic mutation or whatever. And then, you know, and then it's like, okay, well then their parents have to decide what they believe, you know? Yeah. To make these decisions um, for her or him. (laughs) Uh, Another really horrific thing that just occurred to me that I have heard stories of this firsthand. Uh, In some countries, like, virgins have this really magical powers. And, like, even in our own culture, that's true, right? They're like, you know, sacrifice a virgin by the full moonlight, etc. But in some countries, for instance, deflowering a virgin can cure you of whatever STD you have, including especially AIDS. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So there are people who will rape young children in order to get rid of their AIDS, which doesn't, by the way, get rid of AIDS. It just just spreads it to the little girl. We have to clarify that that is not medical science. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Obviously. And, like, that, it doesn't help anybody. And, like, they'll they'll do this to babies, like, little babies, because the younger they are, the more pure they are. So, it's just, it's horrific. Um, But... Uh, on a funnier note, <laughs> oh God. there's also there's an also uh, necropants. <laughs> well, I think okay, so I think we just want to establish that that is like that is a currently like currently surviving uh, magical system that people are buying into, um, yeah. and that's something that like exists in our in our world today. So like these are not things that get shaken off lightly. But then you do have things. Like necro pants, which I'm pretty <laughs> sure is not still practice. So, like that opens a a door to a very interesting conversation about why some things remain and some things like simply fade off into mythology. Well, so for those who don't know, um, necro pants are when you skin a dead body from the waist down. A well, male, a dead, male body. dead body, and let's also like this is in Iceland. So yes. This is Icelandic necromancy here. Yeah. They're, prob- they're apparently very good at ne- necromancy there. And they... Um, it's because it's so dark, right? You can get <laughs> away, you can get away with a lot of weird, like, murder stuff when it's dark most of the year. <laughs> they have nothing else to do <laughs> except necromancy. Especially back in the day when it was literally like, wow. I'm 15, so I'm going to die soon. Let's do what we want. Um, okay, so yeah, you skin the body... And you put a coin in the scrotal area, and it is supposed to double the coins. Like, money will be filling the pouch of the scrotal area. But a very important, <laughs> a very important piece of that is it has to be the person who gets filleted <laughs> uh, has to be a willing participant. So you have to get yeah. that person's permission while yeah. they are alive. And I'm pretty sure it's like you get their permission while they're alive, and I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to murder them. So it can't I don't be like, know. You, I feel like it. I feel like it for the magic to like, work. It has to be like a natural death, but maybe, okay. maybe that's morally, so weird. I feel like like that's like something that you would like your your grandfather's dying. And you're like, granddad, 
I want to be rich. He's like, do it. <laughs> do what I'm dead. Do it. <laughs> For my family, my children. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if Necropans was totally like, uh, like a guilt thing. You know, in the sense that it's like, oh, gosh, like, I'm, like, the crops failed or whatever. I haven't been a good provider. So if I can do this for my family and make them money in this way, then I'm, like, sure, go for it, right? Like, it's yeah. got to be, like, there's got to be some kind of, like, like it's twisted like logic there. Just, like, no, 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 it's sun. cool. Just, like, skin my skin my junk and my pants, <laughs> like, my legs. Wear them around as pants. And this is how I shall help my family. <laughs> It's like, son, son, make pants out of me. Like, Dad, I don't want to. Son, make pants out of me. <laughs> we have to do this for your families. For our families. Those are all interesting interesting uh, types huh? of magic, but you forgot one. Or we forgot one, rather. What? Um, the uh, the magic of love. Oh. Clearly oh. the most powerful of magics. <laughs> the weapon we have, Harry, is love. <laughs> And it was it, it was in you all along. It was in you all along. All, also, I call my 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 penis love. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> love is inside us. We uh, <laughs> in societies which magic and witchcraft are accepted as realities, mental illness is usually explained as being a consequence of witchcraft. So again. It, when we would normally ascribe that to other situations or environment. Um, that what some people are like that's witchcraft in but in nigeria folk cures are licensed by the government to use supernatural means and herbal remedies to cure people who are suffering from mental illness so they're like doctor i mean they get like licensed like doctors yeah and actually a lot of them study western medicine which definitely rejects the idea of illnesses being caused by magic or supernatural causes but i think that in some way if it is a mental condition using things that not necessarily that you believe in, you know, using yeah. things that you believe in to cure it is, uh, you know, going to work to a certain level. Well, they talk about like if you, if you are a person who is uh, religious, it doesn't necessarily uh -huh. have to be a you know a certain religion, but like you know they talk about like yeah, if you're a religious person and you pray, like uh, the you know when people like the thought of. Uh, knowing that their prayers being offered up to you can, like, they say they've, like, done stuff where it's, it's almost like, um, I don't want to call it a placebo effect because that sounds kind of dismissive and I'm not trying to be I that mean, way, but it's like, if you believe in the quote unquote power of prayer, that is something that can, like, that, that is shown to, like, help people during, like, recovery. So, like, if someone has surgery or something, you know, and they, and they know that people are praying for them, like, they, they might recuperate, like, faster and it doesn't mean that they weren't going to always recuperate it just might mean that they're you know because they have positive thoughts and you know whatever that they are healing faster whatever but yeah, if you're is... somebody who's like agnostic and you don't pray like someone's like i'll pray for you you're gonna be like okay whatever well that's literally what you're describing is the placebo effect i mean because you believe something can yeah. be working like your body kind of like prepares itself to be, to, be, to heal or whatever you know to be better. I know. And I just. I, mean, I think people might. Some people might be offended if yeah. it's like your prayer power is a placebo. They might. Well, I mean, it, I mean, but like, not <laughs> What? I mean, like, but also, you know, science tells us it is. So, like, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> so the the mind is a really powerful tool. Like in a lot, and we all know that. Like, 
you can see things that aren't there. You can think things that aren't true, even, you know, all sorts of things. And I think that you can trick your mind into healing faster, you know, Yeah. by a lot. And by a lot of these things, by either the power of prayer or, you know, herbal medicine that uh, may not have any oh, effect yeah. on your biology, but have definitely a mental effect. Absolutely. You believe yeah. in it. There are also um, a lot of culturally bounded mental uh, illnesses that, I mean, that doesn't mean they're fake, obviously. It's something that, it's a mental illness that has been expressed in a certain way. So, for instance, a lot of um, far north uh, Native American people, they sometimes have uh, what people call Wendigo, uh, Wendigo-like syndrome, which is that they can't stop eating things. And they'll eat things that are inappropriate, like rocks or, you know, soil or whatever. Wow. And it's because they think that they've been cursed to become a Wendigo. Wendigo. Wait, Wendigo. Wendigo. I always heard it Wendigo. Wendigo. Wendigo? It's Wendigo. There's no second N. I keep on forgetting. Uh, Wendigo. For those so they don't think know, that they've... Yeah, maybe when I explain what Wendigo is real quick. Wendigo is like a creature, it's a man who's been cursed uh, to become this ravaging creature and they'll eat anything in their path, including their own family, including, you know, animals, their children, whatever. Yeah. It's usually like they've broken some taboo, right? Yeah. Like there's, yeah. They, do, they do something and this is the like consequence is that they get turned into this like all-consuming, never, like you're never satisfied, you're always hungry. And so it just, right. con- it literally, the hunger consumes you. Yeah. And you turn and into so, this creature. You don't. You become inhuman. Yeah, and it's not that like people are being cursed. It's that they have a problem, and mm. it's being expressed in this way. Yeah, they believe themselves have been cursed, and so they act appropriately. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, yeah, and you look at like uh, people who have like um, yeah before. <laughs> Before we knew what, like, epilepsy was, you know, and, like, people, especially, like, you know, children or whatever would have uh, seizures. It was, like, you know, like, oh, the, these children are cursed or, you know, like, someone someone Clearly has cursed humans. them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, or, or witches, <clears throat> you know, it's, like, somebody is doing this to them. It's not, you know, because we didn't understand science, which is also, I think, I just got to jump in here and say this. It's semi-frustrating as somebody who... um enjoys like ritual and stuff and like especially like learning about it and like I find it interesting but it's also frustrating that it's like like we have science now (laughs) you know and so all of these things were like to help us as human beings cope with our ignorance like we like we just didn't understand that like oh we had no idea that like brain chemistries even existed and that's why this person's having you know a seizure is because there's you know their their brain the the brains are misfiring or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so these, but like now that we know that there are still people in this world, in America <laughs> even, and other first world countries who like think that this is like a curse. Like that's some, you know, like that this person is being afflicted by like a demon or by like, yeah, or a bad person. So that's like yeah. really frustrating. I agree. Um, 100% well, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, <clears throat> there's, and the thing is that we don't know everything, and, like, science doesn't explain everything. That's and true. And I, like, there are situations where people seriously believe they've been cursed by, they, they're being, it's demonic possession. They seriously believe they're possessed by a demon, and their fam- family and friends. And then when a priest shows up to exercise it, they're all better. So it's not, I'm not saying there's a demon, <laughs> but 
I mean, something's going on. It's and that power it, of belief. Yeah, yeah, and maybe it's just the power of belief. Maybe there's a serious mental illness going on, and that or person has... maybe there's something we don't know, right? But, like... All right. You know, exactly. who's to say? But at the same time, until we can prove it, it's hard. It's, it's frustrating. Hard. Uh, especially when there's things that we can prove that people attribute to things that uh, that are fits, like fantastic. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. When it's like the sun rising, and someone says, like, oh, there goes... There goes Atlas again, pulling the sun across. Like, no, we know how this works. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, like, I think that's that's why we're kind of dismissive of this. Like, of, for instance, demonic possession. Because, like, it's a slippery slope. Like, yeah, I cannot explain demonic possession with science, but there are a ton of things that I can explain that, like, are, you know, often attributed to ghosts or to whatever. Well, and know? even, like, so. de- demonic possession. Like, we... Like, there are a ton of instances in which people attribute demonic possession, or something, like, some behavior to demonic possession where we can attribute it to, like, you know, uh, a seizure or whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, and there are probably cases in which, like, there is no other explanation except demonic possession. Like, kids walking backwards (laughs) on the walls. Like, you know, maybe. Yeah. But that doesn't happen that often. And a lot of and a lot of times, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying, it's like a lot of times it is is a mental illness. It is... um, you know, it's that maybe maybe the person is suffering from uh, like uh, like uh, auditory hallucinations. So it's yeah. like they, you know, it's, you know, it's like well, I hear this, I hear this person talking to me and saying these bad things or telling me to like hurt myself or to hurt other people, and you know, and so that's like yeah, that, okay, that sounds like you're right. Someone someone else who is not you is telling you these things. Yeah, yeah that sounds like demonic possession. But you know, we also. Um, one of the things that we are currently like understanding more and more is that like, yeah, that again, that's like, that's not actually a demon. That's that person's like brain chemistry. And, um, you know, and like, cause we all have a voice in our head and it's usually our voice. Right. But like sometimes yeah. people who experience trauma might hear their, you know, if they, they were abused, they might hear their abuser's voice, right? I mean, so we're learning more and more and finding the more details that are supported by multiple cases and right. more, you know, and more evidence. And that's just something that comes with time. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's like, yeah, like if some, like if I were, like, even you know, not that long ago, said like, oh yeah, I hear this voice and it's saying all these really horrible things. You know, it just I think it depends on culturally where you are. Like if you were raised Catholic possessed by a demon but you know but like maybe if you were in you know another part of the world they might say like oh you're you're a medium like you're like something divine is channeling through you and you should listen to that voice because it could be telling you something really important you know and so then again it kind of comes back to that like are you are you revered um or are you like feared the voice is telling me to eat all the cheetos all the Cheetos. <laughs> Bring me the Cheetos. How many? You're all possessed of them. by a, demon, all of them. a Cheeto demon. <laughs> a Cheeto demon. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And to get to bring it back to to witchcraft. Um, Always. The last thing I wanted to say about witchcraft in reality uh, or magical systems is that it's often used as a social control. Um, so. Antisocial or other deviant behavior often results in an individual being labeled as a witch in, you know, these kind of societies. So, like, you know, women who can read and 
<laughs> yeah, right. Like their, right, the their husbands might have died and they didn't immediately die. You know. Aberrant behavior. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, so it's a, a couple things. Because, like, when we talked about zombies, we talked about being uh, made a zombie as a form of social control. So if you are outside the societal norm, you're doing you're doing something abnormal or, you know, antisocial, you might be a target to become a zombie. Like, someone might just make you a zombie. And it's kind of the same with, you know, witchcraft in some societies, is that, like, if you start acting up, someone's going to put a curse on you. Or accuse or you of being someone, a witch. Yeah, or someone might think you're a witch. And being trying to disprove you're a witch is real hard. Because... <laughs> You can't you know, know. prove a negative, yeah. Yeah, yeah. can't prove you're so, not a witch. You can prove you are a witch. <laughs> but then there's no way... Yeah. There's, there's no way to win, but there's definitely a way to lose. So, um... So, I want to talk about for a second, like, religion as a magical system. And, like, it might might have elements of... We mentioned contagious magic and divination and... Um, the other sympathetic. One. Sympathetic magic, right. Yeah. And I wonder, uh, can we... Can we talk about, like, organized religion as its own magical system? Or should we instead kind of consider each religion uh, a mishmash of all three of those other ones in different I would, quantities? I would definitely say it's a mishmash because, for instance, in, you know, Catholic Mass and also in Greek Orthodox Mass, you drink the blood of Christ, but it's not really the blood of Christ, it's just wine, mm-hmm. but it's like sympathetic magic, like calls <clears throat> to life. So the essence of Christ is supposed to be in that cup, and you drink it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then there's also elements of like divination too, and uh, yeah. You know, well, incidentally, seeing... sorry, the the blood of Christ thing is why a lot of people are really hesitant to to convert to Christianity in the early days. They're like, you eat your God. <laughs> like they were, they were real skeptical. Yeah, like, for good reason. Reasonably so, right? <laughs> but anyway, continue with what you were going to oh, say. Well, there's also like divination in, in that. Like uh, there are lots of like the prophets. Every major religion has like prophets that. Yeah, that I mean Jesus. Word. Sorry, guys. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was a prophet. No, Jesus was a prophet, and then Muhammad was a prophet. But yeah. there were a lot of other prophets before them Absolutely. and after. So I think I like that. I think I, I agree that it's most religions are kind of like a mashup of the divination, contagious, and sympathetic magic, and just different yeah. different cocktails of those same three ingredients. Well, yeah. I mean, and you look at like the rituals too. Like a lot of it is like candle burning or incense burning. You know, it's yeah. like the, the, you know candles are like you know bringing. Well, like for example, um, you know acolytes bring. You know, it's like they you know co- they come in and have you know they have the little acolyte stick thing and they light the candles on the altar and it's like that that literally is a symbol for bringing christ's spirit christ's light into the church and then you take it out at the end of the service into the world or whatever i mean yeah yeah, like it's you know if that's not uh sympathetic magic (laughs) yeah i think in islam there is a lot less of it because christianity is such that it has been able to change and morph and adopt whatever system was in place when it gets there. Like, you know, in some countries, the uh, Madonna is, you know, I saw a picture of the Last Supper, a painting of the Last Supper in Peru where they're eating guinea pig because that's what they eat in Peru, you know? And, like, that's not what we were told was at the Last Supper, but how would we know? <laughs> so, like, Christianity often changes a lot to its surroundings. And mm. 
to a lesser extent, Islam does as well, but it's the Quran is always the Quran. Word for word, it has not changed in 5,000 years because a good Muslim is supposed to have memorized the Quran word for word. Mm. And so it's passed down orally and recited <clears throat> constantly. In I've been to several places where there is just a dude on a microphone reciting the Quran perpetually. In uh, Istanbul, there is supposedly the tooth of the prophet and his some of his beard hairs. It, they're like at a shrine, and perpetually there's someone there with a microphone reciting the Quran over these objects. Like to the tooth and the beard yeah. hairs. <clears throat> yeah, and just it's perpetually, perpetually. So like this, the Quran has never changed. But the Bible has changed a lot, and it continuously changed. It's been, uh, you know, uh, translated into several different languages. It's lost some meanings. It's gained some meanings. It's lost um, entire chapters. I mean, like, you know, the, the Council of Nicaea was yeah. when they were like, okay, we're going to, like, sit down and decide, like, what goes in and what stays out. Yeah. And there's also, like, later, I mean, like, you know, you think about, like, the Lord's Prayer. Like, that's something that is considered to be, like, you know, um, you know, like one of the major prayers, but that's also too, like, right. That's not something that was like in the Bible per se, but it's something that's, uh, like closely related to it. And that changes, it has been added to, and, you know, you go to different churches, they'll say, you know, there'll be different words. Right. Um, and you know, that whole, so. there's a whole book where like angels got busy with humans and had babies and they were like these monsters and God killed them all. And that is no longer in the Bible. And that's but why angels was. don't have penises. And that's well, really important. Don't to anymore. Know <laughs> to get to heaven. And right. they left it out. I mean, we're totally... <laughs> we need to know. <laughs> yeah. like Inquiring minds have a right to know. Um, anyway, so yeah. I mean, I think in Islam, they definitely have... I feel like this whole moving towards the Kaaba when you pray is kind of a, a magical thinking thing. What is the, uh, is it sympathetic or is it contagious? I guess it's sympathetic because you're like, that is the direction and I want to bring that direction towards me. So I am going to, to pray in that direction. I guess that's how it works. I don't know. It's just something to think about. Are you, oh, you're talking about like praying, like praying always to the, like towards Mecca? The, towards Mecca, towards the Kaaba. The, yeah. Did you know that my phone has a little Kaaba emoji? It's got a little picture of the the black. Uh, it's supposedly a little box that uh, was built by Abraham with his own hands. I don't know if that's. Why do you have a emoji for that? I didn't download it. It's on my phone. It's so just that on wanna, my phone. Now I want to see if I have this. It's probably on all our phones. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little black box with a gold band around it. Which frankly makes sense because like they're like 1.3 million Muslims or billion yeah. Muslims, so like things phones probably. And so now I'm like, okay, but what is, so what would that mean? If somebody would like send that to you? Like, I think we should start using it the... in every context, in any context, just so that it can like confuse the NSA, <laughs> essentially. Like, everyone's talking well, about the Akaba now. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, like egg, eggplants or penises and people. Yeah, exactly. Butts. Maybe so it's you like, just need, you just need holiness in your life. Like the Kava could be just like you... pizza or, well, there's already pizza, like... but. That's going to get so misused. Like. I think that people who, I think that non-Muslims don't even know what it is. Yeah. I think they wouldn't even use it. Because you, if you do, if you are familiar with Mecca, you probably know what the mosque looks like. But you don't know, I mean, you don't connect the mosque with the little box that Abraham supposedly built with his bare hands. I've got so, a anyway. little, um, it's like an index card filer emoji. <laughs> 
That's the only thing I found. It's a little black index card filer. I'm like, what are they doing? That's funny. So um, now that we discussed um, like all the types of like real magic, we should uh, kind of move on to fake magic and yeah, yeah. what makes good fake magic. <laughs> yeah, so like I enjoy fantasy novels a lot, and there's a lot of them that have magical systems. And before we get into it, I also wanted to talk about magical realism, which is, I think, the opposite of what we're talking about. Because magical realism, I feel, is like a lack of a magical system. Oh, Things just yeah. happen. Okay. And it's wondrous and crazy, and there's no rhyme or reason. Yes, no, I agree with that. I, that's a very popular genre now, and you're right. There, it's the defined by like weird things happening that like kind of have significance, but can't be controlled or like explained really. Yeah, like people turn into birds, or someone floats away, or you know, someone is transformed into a kangaroo or something. Right. It's just a lot of like. Just random shit happening. It's almost um, like, um, like emotional magic. Like you're not trying to do anything, but like things happen sometimes. Yeah, and it's also like, nobody is upset by it or or surprised. Yeah, that's another. It's feature. just like, <laughs> well, that shit happens. Um, good day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a good distinction to make, Emily. I think that was a, cl- a clever thing to bring up. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it because I, you know, I'm a writer and I seem to not be able to manage the magical realism thing because I just want to know how it works. Like, <laughs> I just want an explanation. As I enjoy when other people do it, like uh, I think Sunshine is a lot of magical realism. Um, Lauren, I just gave Lauren that book for her birthday. Oh, okay. Yes, I have not started reading it yet, okay. but I'm I'm very excited. But it's, it's real I'm, good, and it's a lot of magical realism. Like, shit happens, and it's like, okay, that happens. And there are vague explanations, but not really. Yeah. So. Well, I actually, so this, throwing back to another um, episode we did about King Arthur, and we brought up um, uh, Mordred Bastard Son, and I was like, I'm reading that. And, yeah. then I, and then I found it, and I did read it. Um, I was intrigued because it's about um, Mordred... Uh, taking Lancelot as a lover, right. um, which was really interesting. But um, the reason I'm bringing it up now, this story, is because Mordred grows up on the, it's called the Isle of Glass, okay. and it's where the Lady of the Lake lives, uh, or like, you know, like where her, where the lake is. Right. And they're um, druids. Uh, so like when you're talking about that magical realism, it's kind of like, like um, the the world that he grows up in is, very much that way where it's like um, there are these magical boars that are released from the underworld. Um, magical so boars? Boars. Like they're these intense, like, like I mean, you know, almost imagine like um, in Princess Mononoke, the demon boars yeah. that are like really Those are big. fucking scary. Yeah. So like um, there's like, or not the demon boar. The demon boar is really scary. But then, like, you know how, like, the, the, the animals, the the big animals that are, like, the guardians of the forest yeah. or whatever? Like, imagine, like, that. But they come from the underworld and, like, every so often. Um, so they talk about, like, yeah, it's just something that happens where, like, the lord of the underworld sometimes is, sometimes his boars get out and murder <laughs> people. And one of the old, like, wise women She's mm-hmm. not. Um, she's not actually a druid, but women in this society are like all, you know, valued and respected, which is crazy. 
Um, but she's one of the older women, and so she's really respected. But she is um, she's crippled by one of these boars. So it's okay. like it's not like this story that you tell. Like there are people who are like, no, that's like I I was attacked by one of these boars, and and trying to flee from them, like fell from a cliff, and it broke my legs, and I've never been able to walk since. You know, so and then later in the story, um, there's another. A character who's a friend of Mordred's who's also killed by one. So it's this idea that, like, um, that it just happens. Like, sometimes this happens and you get attacked by one of these boars and it's, and they're from the, you know, the, yeah, they come from the other world or whatever and they're own, you know, and, and they're very specific about how they look. So it's not like a regular boar killed somebody. So it's one of these boars. It's, you know, they have, they look yeah. completely different and stuff. But it's just, you know, shit happens sometimes. Yeah, shit happens. Magical shit happened. Yeah. Well, let's uh, start with uh, the media. We I want to start with Sabriel again because it's such a good example. <laughs> good. So good. Um, so it's basically necromancy, and the way her father is the Abhorson, which is he's, like, supposed to keep the necromancy in check. He's in charge of the necromancy. He's, like, opposite. Like, if you think of necromancy as raising the dead, he's, yes. like, the guy that, like, comes in and is like, nope, that's not cool, and, like, he lays the puts dead to the rest. bed. He li- yes, puts them to bed, as they say. Puts That's them a- to bed. Um, but the first in the first chapter, her father ha- is calling her from beyond the grave. Uses a dead body to go to her dorm room. She's in like school, and like knock on her door and be like, "Come find me." <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, he's not around, or she's still hoping he's still alive. But because in this world, there are. I think nine gates to hell, nine gates or to heaven. the underworld, or the underworld. It's the underworld. Yeah. And if you go, like she as a necromancer can go past a bunch of gates and she imagine, or they imagine the underworld gates as like this river. So if you're in the first, before the first gate, it's just this little trickle of water and you're fine. You can walk around. You can even pull people back from the first gate. In the second gate, the water is deeper and flows swifter. In the third gate, there are potholes, so you can just fall in and never come out again. And so it gets more difficult. I think she never goes beyond, like, the third or fourth gate. Um, But creatures can pull themselves back from... Unless they are beyond the ninth gate, they can always come back. They can, like, just through sheer force of will, pull themselves back. And the way that she uh, puts them to bed is she has this bandolier of bells. And each of the bells has a function. So one of the bells is to make someone speak. One of the bells is to make them silent. One of them is to make them move. Like, the way that she describes the bells, they all have a name and they all have a personality. And it's just so fascinating. It's like a really interesting system. And it's, so it's, it's layered. So you have, like, the, the magical system of necromancy you also have the magical system that involves like music which is a common thing um you know throughout certain stories like the samarillion um well you know she talks about the world the world was created with music by music um so like having the bells and these sounds be what um you know helps her control yeah um so you have yeah yeah uh, Ocarina of Time is another me- piece of media where music is magic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, You get to learn the songs. That's right. And it takes you... It time travels. 
Yeah. One of the songs will time travel you. But they'll, they'll do those things, too. Like, they'll make it night or day or whatever. Call your horse to you, Call you know. Call your horse. It's magic. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's enough. But, yeah, so it's like this, you know, so it's like they're, they're like, you know, when you hear the word, like, necromancy, there's, like, a, these established, like, ideas of, like, this is what necromancy is. And then, like, to, and then as she's in the author, Garth Nix incorporates um, other magical systems into it, but does it in such a way that it's still like, like we were talking about, like it's still consistent, but he's adding in those layers for his story. Right. Yeah. And like at one point he, the Abhorsen builds these giant whistles. They're like giant logs that he's carved as whistles that whistle when the wind blows past. And that is what keeps the dead dead. Oh, that's cool. It is cool. It's just the magic is so awesome. And um, when they also have charter magic, which is like they use like symbols, like the staves. Yeah. So, so like guess, that's one of the that's another magical system within it that they use. Yeah. In their like day to day necromancy, and, but also just magic in general. The so I guess the two the two systems are the charter magic, which is like organized magic, and then there's wild magic, and the bells are kind of a mix of the two. But most normal people have charter marks, which are like, you know, wearing a cross. It just protects them. They're not necessarily magical. And they, um, then the people who use magic, if they're not using charter magic, they're automatically evil or suspicious. Because they're using wild magic. Because they're using wild magic, so there must be something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and not a thing that they, like, overturn at any point. Like, there's, su- there's something super <laughs> wrong with you if you're using <laughs> wild magic. <laughs> it's not like a discrimination thing. Like, you probably are evil. <laughs> yeah. And there's even a, a there's a creature who uh, has a bell around its neck that keeps it asleep, and so normally it would be like killing everyone. <laughs> but since the bell every time it moves, the bell rings, then it just it's always this like semi awake creature, <laughs> sluggish. Like, hey. like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like keeps awesome. him it like keeps him in check basically, yeah. so that he like stays kind of. Um, benign i guess yeah yeah um it's really good though it's really great and it's and it's beautiful because it has these complicated systems but you're talking about like the consistency like the rules like he establishes the rules and they and they don't change so it's like really like once you learn the rules like it sounds complicated or kind of like too much even but it's not arbitrary yeah i think that's kind of what we're going to find that makes like a really good magical system is um, that like the rules are consistent and then it's the interaction of the rules with, by people who have opposing viewpoints or opposing, like there's like a, some kind of conflict where the rules of the magical system come into play in a big way and knowing the rules can kind of help the reader like predict the outcome almost like in a foreshadowing kind of way. And I think that that's what makes like a, a good magical yes. system. I agree, and there, I, I think the mark of a good magical system combined with a good plot is when there is a situation, like at the climax, where there is a magical solution or a magical pitfall that is coming up, and the reader instantly gets it. It's an exactly. instant get, oh my god, this is going to happen, because you know the rules and you've internalized them to the point where you don't need the character to tell you what's going to happen. You're like, right. oh fuck. You can read the signs just as well as they can. Yeah, exactly. You can like read the, the signs just as they can. The, the narrative kind of turns you into a practitioner of this magic, even though 
you obviously can't do the magic, but like you can yeah. you can read the signs just as well as the character can. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Although I will say there are some some alternative viewpoints on how magic works, and so those are like really great magic systems. But there are systems of magic, I guess, in certain books and narratives that that don't are like systemless, if you can think of it like that. I so think like the a, Harry Potter version of magic I was is gonna say, kind yeah. of arbitrary, and like there's really no system, but there are rules like here or there. Right. But even further than that, like Terry Pratchett books, the Discworld series, yeah. there's like almost literally no rules to how the magic works in those <laughs> books. And like, it just works because they say it works. And you'll have wizard duels where they shoot spells at each other and the spells collide in midair and like a giant pink elephant appears. And it's like, oh, whoops, that was a mistake, but whatever, keep shooting! You know? Interesting. Yeah. Did they, um, they don't have any moments in those books then that are like... Oh shit! This magic is gonna uh, do this, or you know what's gonna happen. Uh, I, it's been a while since I've read them, but I mean, I'm sure there are. But the they those are specific rules that they def- determine like on a case by case basis, the same kind of way Harry Potter does it, you know? Yeah. Where it, it's like it's not like an overall system that like functions together like like a gear system. It's like there's a gear over here and a gear over here, but how they interact is is arbitrary. But you know that this gear works, you know that this gear works. Whereas, like, books like Sabriel, it sounds like, and Mistborn is another one I want to talk about. Like, all the gears mesh together in, like, a beautiful symmetry that's, like, well thought out and, like, well documented. And so, like, you know how one input from one side of the system will affect an input or an output from the other side of the system. You know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas and in think... Harry Potter, you can't predict that. Yeah, Harry Potter is definitely a... I wouldn't even call it a, a magical realism because it's really not. Mm. It's just very dependent on the sense of wonder and you not questioning yeah. the magic. I mean, there are rules like you know what spells do and what they don't do, but it's really like a case by case basis. Yeah, and I think like, like the only like consistent thing that we can think of is that like, um, which is also something you learn because it comes up in the story, but it's like a. Like, the love potion thing, you know? So, like, that's one of the few, like, kind of consistent things where it's like, oh, you can't use magic to make somebody love you. You can give them a love potion, which makes them, like, infatuated, but it will wear off. It's not real. And Um, then the other one is that uh, you can't create something out of nothing. That's something that Hermione is yelling at Ron and Harry all the time when they're on the run. She's like, I can't just make something out of nothing, you assholes. (laughs) But even that's not necessarily true because there's the Aguamenta spell, which just, like, makes water. Maybe it takes it from somewhere else, though. But, but yeah, it's not explained. So it's just, like, water appears. Is it pulled from the atmosphere? (laughs) We didn't look that far into it. We just said some words and water Well, that's kind of what we're talking about, the... uh, the, the lack of a system for when yeah. it's right, exactly. You know? I think it's interesting, like, I guess there's, like, maybe two schools of thought on how to do magical systems in narratives. Either you 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 set them up like a mechanism, like a like a machine that works every, the same way every time, and people are just using it differently. Or yeah. you completely, you just, you're like, this is whatever I want it to be because I'm the author and this is magic. <laughs> this is how it works. Yeah, and, like, they both seem to work well enough, um, I guess, like, on the one hand, you you get that sense of wonder from from books where you do the, uh, the I'm the author, like, this is my decision kind of magic. Yeah. Because, because, like, in books like Mistborn, 
it's not so like wondrous as it is like impressive like, impressive and tactical you're like oh if he does yeah. this thing then he knows this thing i'm like oh that guy did this thing so you know that his magic is has to be of this type blah 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 blah, blah. yeah you know it's yeah. more like puzzle than it is like wonderment yeah, let's talk about Mistborn because as as much as I enjoy the the system in Sabriel, it's really not as technical as the one in Mistborn. Like Mistborn is to a T. It's really it's extremely uh, well, well well explained and thought out. Basically, there are um, there's like two or three types of magic. Um, Allomancy, which is like when people ingest different types of, of metal, like literal like uh-huh. metal from the earth. And then they can do what's called burning it to to exercise a certain type of power that that metal provides them. So, for instance, yeah. tin allows you to see really far and hear like crystal clear for many many miles. Uh, pewter makes you super strong and like and stout. Uh, and there's like a bunch of other ones that they include like pushing and pulling on like metals in the environment. So like kind of like a magnet, you can pull yourself towards. Like uh, something that's anchored in a wall, if it's metal, or like pull someone's sword away from them from a distance, um, or you can push them away in both cases. Um, but usually in the book, you only have one of those powers. So most people just have one. Exactly, except for these very very special people called the Mistborn who have all of them. Yeah, and they're like badass assassins, and it's very important to keep them secret because if people know who they are, they will kill them because. They don't want those people hanging around. They'll <laughs> try. <laughs> They'll try, right. They'll try. They're very hard to kill as well. Um, so, yeah. But then there's all the other kinds of magic that also use metal. So, like, um, there's, like, hematology or something, something where, like, they they drive metal spikes through people. Oh, and, gross. And by doing that, they abuse people that are not magical with magical abilities and the more spikes you have the more uh magical like the stronger your magical abilities are and uh they the thing is they don't have to they don't just drive spikes through you they have to drive it through someone who's already magical into you and then you get their that person's power oh holy shit yeah so basically you have to kill someone to get the power yeah this is like the evil the evil version of the magic but it works really yeah. similarly because instead of ingesting the metal and eating it, they just have the metal like poking into them like permanently, and so but the yeah. metals still do the same kind of thing. So like tin oh. lets them see very far. These tin spikes in their body let them see very far or do whatever you know. And the same thing with pewter. The pewter ones make them really strong, and so could they, they can, could they uh, put all different kinds of metal in themselves and become yes. born? Essentially, okay. they they can manufacture misborn except they're like kind of the process makes them insane because they have to like kill a bunch of people and like have spikes sticking out of their body for the rest of their life like Ugh. it's they're, they're like the evil misborn kind of yeah. it's like at what cost you yeah know? exactly it's like you will have these powers but you will be crazy yeah <laughs> essentially um but then there's a third kind of magic uh it's called fuel chemistry or whatever and basically this one works a little different differently but it still uses metal Okay. And that basically you wear like rings and, and plates of, of like metal on you and you can imbue the metal that you're wearing with ability, like uh, elements of yourself. So like you can imbue like one of your rings with like great strength by for a time becoming extremely weak. So like you're sitting at home oh. and like you can't lift a pencil. You're just kind of like kind of lazily on the couch. Okay. But you're, you're basically 
storing up super strength in your ring, and then when you need it later, you can call upon that super that strength that you, you didn't have for a while to make yourself oh. super powerful until you use all that strength in the ring. So the ring stores the physical attributes, and it, it can store things like like youth. It can store things like heaviness, like weight, oh. and oh. Uh, strength. Obviously, um, it can store things like knowledge, like like literally data. Oh. Uh, so these guys uh, will like recite <laughs> words to themselves or they'll read aloud and the ring will store the data and then they can give it to another person of that order and like they can wear it and be like, oh shit, all the data is in my brain now. Oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And so it's like a cool kind of thing, but once again, all the metals, like the, the different metals that you wear have different abilities. So like a pewter ring will make you, will is the only thing suitable to store strength in. Oh, I see. So it's not like a complete mystery what's in that ring, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like if you know what metal it is, you can kind of tell what the what the that kind of person's doing with it. And is that only something that can be accessed by someone with magical powers, or can like a normal person do that to a ring? Um, I believe that it's a it's a magical person thing only. Yeah. Okay, that's right. There's I mean. certain people who can do it. Um, and it's like is it like a one time use? Uh, no, you can like refill it. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I meant, I meant like, okay, so like, if you, so in this, um, the the world that's established, so like, the people who ingest the metals and then burn them, it's like the same principle. So it's like, once you run out, you need to ingest more. So like, with you have a ring that has strength in it, and you use up all the strength in the ring, you're going to have to be weak again to kind exactly. of recharge the ring. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, but see, at least that's that going back to that consistency thing, too, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, that's awesome. And, like, he, uh, Brandon Sanderson, uh, he really did a good job about kind of tying it all together. Yeah. So the, to the place where, like, he's even drawn, like, graphs and, like, charts in the back of his books that, like, kind of explain how all of it works together. So, like, yeah. there's, like, weird sigils that, like, if you look at them, you're like, oh, this is some fantasy bullshit. But if you actually, like, pay attention to what they are, you're like, oh, this is, like, a cross-referencing of, of hematology with uh, alamancy and how they fit together. And you're like, oh, my God. Okay, I understand this. Like, now that I've read the books, I'm like, okay, yeah. that's an actual, like, it's a graph of how this, it's like a instructional uh, sigil or something, you know? He's he's also uh, start made an RPG for this, because this is like, I've, I've read most, a lot of the first book. I still am going to finish it, I promise. But um, it's a lot of, like, the system is really mm-hmm. the point, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not so much a story as it is explaining the system. <laughs> and, I mean, like, yeah. he definitely spends a lot of time on it. And that's not, a, you know, a diss or anything, because it is still, I mean, the story still flows and everything. Um, and he's and the system is, like, fantastic as well. But there's just a yeah, lot there's, of emphasis There's on some it. great moments where you, like, you see through the eyes of, of, the, of Vin, who's one of the characters who kind of finds out she's a um, a misborn and is, like, taken under the wings to learn how to use her alimency. And, like, you see through her eyes, like, how people who are really good at this, like, even people who just have, like, one of the powers are, like, really good. And so you learn, like, the intricacies of it. Yeah. Like, um, like, when she's watching the, I can't remember his name, but the soother. So it's, like, Please. he uses his power to, like, manipulate people's emotions. And, right. like, he can calm them down and kind of but like it's not just like oh i calm them down it's like oh no i can manipulate them and make and leave them feeling satisfied 
as opposed to calm or right. like, you know, so it's just like really intricate Yeah, and explains a lot about emotions and yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing to, um, to talk about is that these systems that are like really well done can be extrapolated, extrapolated to like a different level. So for instance, my thought on this is, um, Avatar The Last Airbender, mm-hmm. you know, everyone in this system, someone is born with the ability to control an element. And for some people it's water, some people it's air, some people it's earth, some, and that's it. And some people it's, it's fire. fire. Right. Fire Nation. They attacked, I remember. <laughs> um, but at a certain point they start, you know, extrapol- extrapolating that into, for instance, bloodbending, which is a liquid. So you can, like, control people's actions. Or... Swamp bending, which is you're bending the, the these vines in the swamp, and, uh, you know, you have, like, a swamp, a living swamp that you're controlling. Because By that, you're, controlling the water. You're controlling the water in the vines. Yeah. And I think that is a, a sign of a really good system. X-Men does this a lot, but I want to talk about that when we talk about sci-fi systems, because I feel like it's more science than... Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, I think that's just a, a great example of like, oh yeah, and like Toph learns how to like manipulate metal. She becomes yeah. like right. the first like metal She's bender the first metal because bender, yeah. she yeah. And lightning, the the Azula, the crazy bitch, she she can use lightning, and right. Iroh, Iroh can use lightning as well. So the um, contrast that like that ability to extrapolate into new realms of magic with uh, systems in which like there isn't such a, a rigid like mechanical organization to the system like the harry potter version yeah if you try to extrapolate out it almost just becomes like this is more magic it's not like leveling up your magic it's like this is just another element of the magic that already exists well so for instance like you and you try and make logical arguments in the harry potter universe people are just like well maybe there's magic for that like we were talking about the gun thing when we were talking about ilver morney and why doesn't he have a gun? Why don't they just shoot? And you're like, I just want an explanation as to why guns wouldn't work, why <laughs> yeah, people exactly. aren't using them. And that's, like, all it would take. Like, we assume there is an explanation that, oh, there's some magical thing where guns are useless. But if the system were more defined, we would be able to understand ourselves why guns are right. not being used. We could, like, work it out. Like, yeah. Like, almost as if it were a formula. We could, like, what's that word? Show our work and, like, <laughs> go back to... Yeah, and like uh, we we assume that there's probably a reason why Dumbledore didn't take a time turner and go back in time to fix some shit. Um, <laughs> I mean, I hope there's a reason, but it's you know we don't have enough information about the right. system. Or or like or if a reason is offered, like with the time turner thing, like Hermione's like, you know, bad things happen to wizards who mess with the time. Period. That's it. Yeah, that's like the only thing that's keeping these people in check. Like, and you're like, well, I assume so, but someone's got to take something for the team. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, there's some real bad shit happening here. Like, Jesus, someone go back and fix it. Right. Um, um, so actually, this is a good question. Like, as a writer, it leaves you a lot of outs to not define your system like that, that rigidly. Because it gives you that wonder element, but also it lets you be like, well, guns don't work because magic. You know? Right. Um, yeah, and it, I think that is... In some instances, I think it's lazy writing, but in some instances, I think they're, they want to preserve that sense of wonder. They want you to Absolutely. think about it and, like, you know, wonder. Preserve the sense of wonder, but also be able to um, 
like, keep writing. <laughs> yeah, well, and make everything make sense. And I think uh, J.K. Rowling really walked that line very well. I think mm-hmm. other people walk the line very well, but some people don't. Some people are just, their magic is vague, and that's how it is. Yeah. Well, because, right, like, if you think about, like, if Harry Potter, like, Sorcerer's Stone never became, like, the sensation that it was, she probably, maybe she would have written sequels, but, like, she probably, like, you know, the things that we know now, like, horcruxes and stuff like that, like, there was no, like, need for that. So, like, she, you know what I mean? So, like, to continue her story and to make the story work, she just had to create things on the fly, which is fine. And it's also but really yeah, difficult just... if you do it as the uh, mechanical way, if you, like, codify every element of your, si- your magical system, it's probably really easy to write yourself into a corner and be like, well, yeah, yeah. everything I need to do in this situation goes against all the magical like, rules I've made up so far, and by breaking those rules, like, the whole system becomes pointless. And that's the thing, like, as a good writer, and that now that you've codified your magical system, I mean, that's the same with plot and, like, characterization, in a lot of instances, bad writers will go against their character's nature just to get a plot point happening. Yeah. And, like, for instance, Bones does this a lot, and it really bothers me. Like, the the character of Bones is supposed to be this, like, nearly autistic person who does who is highly logical and doesn't understand emotional arguments. But in several situations, like, one quote was like, I don't understand the point of being right. Like, absolutely, you understand the point of being right. Like, I just, they just, she's very flexible in this show because they want things to happen. They want this drama to happen. Yeah, they, she gets really flexible in later seasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In later seasons, definitely. <laughs> so I think it's the same with magical systems where, like, if you have defined your magical system, then what happens happens. And that's just what has, has to happen. And you have to yeah. write around it. You but, know. like, I wonder if there's, like, a, a middle ground to be had where you can still leave yourself open to, like, like magical stuff that, like, is unexplained but still kind of codify it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like, think that's what, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling did. She can totally add shit on there now. Like, she could just announce that, you know, uh, horses actually have magic. And they <laughs> uh, use their tails as wands. And, like, no one will that be able awesome. to contradict her. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, okay. I guess. But we discussed that like she she uses the the uncodified magic system. So like that's that's like one of the cool things about that approach is that you can just add on whatever you want. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. if you want a more structured magical system, oh, you're to get that about structured ones. Yeah. If you want a more structured magical system to get that uh, kind of mechanical puzzle like feel to your books, then you, like it would be nice if there was a way to also like to include like some element of randomness. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can continue adding things. Like, I know that, for instance, Doctor Who is not really... That's uh, a science fiction. Um, but there are rules, yeah. What? It's basically, it's basically magic. He has a wand. You know? he, has a, he has a wand. Um, I mean, like, they keep on changing the rules. Yeah, you know? all the time. All the time. So, I feel like that happens a lot in... Like, for instance, Buffy changes the rules a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, not in, like, completely unreasonable ways, either. But just you notable know? ones, I guess. Yeah. Like, also, um, well, think about, like, the Magicians, maybe. That's, like, a good example of, like, kind of a mixture. Because all of the magic in, in the Magicians is based on, like... Calculations. Like calculations and, like, crazy hand movements and, like, the difference between, like, 
the angle between the sun and like the closest body of water. And, yeah, like, yeah. It's so it's shit. it's mechanical, but it's a, mechanical in a way that like you could never understand. Yes. And so that allows for the author to be like, nope, but there were there were fireflies nearby, so it all just went to shit. You yeah. Know, <laughs> That's very clever, actually, because you know you can't argue with her because it's mathematical uh, equations that she never or he never bothered to lay it out like he didn't right. give you those equations so <laughs> you know who knows right but like it is still supposedly like rigid but then again the end the end of the thing like the feeling you get is one of wonder because it basically is just like whatever the author says like you can't well right like out. the fact that anything at all happened right because like it seems so like kind of random and chaotic so the fact that you got the result you wanted is like huzzah, like, <laughs> huzzah! yeah yeah I, I wanted to bring up, have you ever read, Lauren, uh, the Black Jewel trilogy? I have not. It's So it's by Anne Bishop, and it's one of these books that all of my... I'm writing it down. Girl, I would not suggest it. Um, oh, just kidding. All then. of my girlfriends read in, like, middle school. And I never, I read it as an older person and was like, what the shit is this? Because <laughs> it's basically, like, um, Anne Bishop tried for this, like, matriarchal society but like stepped into a hot pile of patriarchy like it was (laughs) all the women have supernatural powers and when they come of age they get a jewel and the jewels have a ranking system I, i think black is the highest but red is right under it and those are super rare but like you know it goes down from there and then the story, so they, wait, is it, like, given to them, or does it, like, It, like, come, magically like, appears. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and the, the main character, her, the jewels that appear, she gets five black jewels and two red ones. Wow. And, like, so you've set up this magical system, and then you've immediately trounced it. Like, <laughs> everyone gets a jewel, that's the thing, and black jewels are, like, so rare, it doesn't happen, you know, once in a generation, and this person has five black jewels and two red jewels. And then... Just, jewels start coming out of her butt just, like, all day long. Like, I can't... I was like, it was a medical that, condition! What does that even mean? Like, it doesn't mean anything. Because you set up this system of meaning, and it's now true. you've, like, broken it. Immediately <laughs> overridden the whole, like, system of meaning. Yeah, and I was just like, this is just stupid. And then there's a lot of, like... Uh, she also... She's, like, 12 throughout the whole thing. And she falls in love with this dude who is like thirty-five, and all sorts of shit happens. Also, no bueno, no bueno. <laughs> women only have magical powers if they are a virgin by the time they hit puberty, and so there are these like health institutions where young girls who are problematic are sent to basically be raped and divested of their powers. Oh shit! Yeah, That's it's just like nuts. what the fuck. There's also, like, so this is supposed to be a children's book, right? But all the men are supposed to wear, like, cock rings that, that uh, you know, moderate their behavior. Like, That's absurd. <laughs> it keeps their penises in check? Is I that mean, what you're trying to say? No, like, if, if they do something wrong, like, the nearest woman can, like, squeeze it and make them be in super pain. And, like, it's just, like, Wait, 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 say that again. I'm, the, if they do something wrong, the nearest woman can what? Can, like, make it squeeze or make it twist or, you know, whatever. And, like, oh, Jesus. put them in pain. <laughs> and it's just, like, what? So, like, 
uh, the original idea, I can see there was some sort of matriarchy going on. But then, like, <laughs> the men take over by raping all these young girls, and it's just like, what is this? <laughs> What's <laughs> happening? And also, like, the dude that she falls in love with is not human. There's, like, several different races, and it's unclear the magical system, how it spreads to these other races. It's just, it's um, a hot pile of shit. And, like, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm like, it's a literal shit. That, <laughs> literal like, shit. Well, it sounds like, do you ever, one of those things that you would like when you were, like, in middle school, and then, yeah. It's, like, super dramatic and, like, kind yeah. of dark and edgy. It's, like, super dark and edgy, but, like, pointlessly so, you know? And also, like, the, like the main Twilight. character has, like, a bunch of girlfriends, and they, they hang out, and they are, you know, super powered together. They all have, like, several different jewels, which, again, breaks the system. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not the system we were promised. <laughs> um, and it's, so. I mean, and it's also, too, like, it's so, it's so it sounds okay. I've not read it. I want to now, but like, I mean, if if that doesn't put you off, definitely read it because I I enjoyed <laughs> it a little bit. But I stopped. There's like five or six books, and I stopped reading after like the second one because I was like, this is just utter like bullshit. <laughs> I don't. Know I what's feel happening. like I want to read it, but only if I can read it out loud to a group so we can all like <laughs> laugh about it. But it it's just kind of like, hey, you established this thing. Like, if this girl got, like, just a second jewel, or, like, right. if her jewel was, like, a color that's never been, you know, right. it's like, oh, black is, like, the highest jewel, but hers was, like, white. Right. Or something. Like, you can do it within the system that sets her apart. She just went um, for broke. Five yeah, jewels she and she jumped the shark with, like, the very first episode. <laughs> yeah. That's it's basically what shark jumping. <laughs> Jesus. What if you made a series or a narrative in which you just jump the shark constantly from day one? I know from the first chapter just jump the shark, and then the next chapter jump the shark again, and like that's your whole book from like yeah. the end. <laughs> I mean, it does do that too. It's like continuously like these are the rules we set up. Nope, they are beyond <laughs> rules. Like, but we need rules. We need rules for reasons. <laughs> but well, and the best too is like, man, we need. Okay, here's I'm gonna suggest right now in this moment. Um, the, a spinoff podcast, which is just us creating this story where this is what happens, because I feel like that would be a delightful outlet for everyone. <laughs> but also it's like, oh, well, if this piece of shit can get published and get like multiple sequels, then like there's a formula here that like, there's a sweet vein that we need to tap into. Terrible writing that we can just So I, I, I'm yeah, going to take this. I'm gonna take Sounds... I'm gonna take this moment to uh, talk directly to the fans of Anne Bishop because I know you are numerous and rabid, and I apologize for uh, dissing your favorite book ever, <laughs> and I know that it hurts, but and it's not bad writing; it's just ridiculous. The first book is called Daughter of Blood. If uh, <laughs> it's interesting to you, go for it. But uh, I hope we can still be friends. <laughs> <laughs> Love and kisses up. <laughs> yeah, because uh, my is that Anne with an E? Yes, Anne Bishop. Okay, she actually is still good. writing books, and like every time I see a book being published by her, I'm like, should I? Because <laughs> it's like not a ter- <laughs> it's not terrible. Before. Yeah, it's just like again, she jumped the shark super early, <laughs> and I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh. and it it gets like you're all for the matriarchy, and then it's just like. Nope. <laughs> it's actually a patriarchy, and women are the worst. 
Um, it's like everybody takes off their masks at the end, That's and right. it turns out it was just dudes all along. <laughs> dudes all the way down. Dude, it's all the way down. Dude. I was about to say that. Well, I've been thinking a lot about um, Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, yeah. Um, because I, I think talking about, like, the Alamancy and stuff, but and then talking, but also about, like, how they're different, like, I guess, um, kind of like airbenders, like, there's different. Uh, so, so Full Metal Alchemist is a, is a, is a manga that is also a, an anime, and it's really good. Um, and it's, yeah, so it's based on, um, alchemy, uh, with, you know, which is equivalent exchange. So again, it kind of goes back to that, like you, you, you take, you know, certain elements to create something, but you can't create something out of nothing. Like, you know, so it's like, in that way, it's kind of, it's presented it's it is magical, but it's also presented in this very scientific way of like that all matter cannot be like matter cannot be created or destroyed but it can be manipulated or altered and then there you know there are taboos within that so for example um the main characters uh kind of get their story begins with their um uh mother passing away and they're using a very basic childhood under childhood childish understanding of alchemy to try and bring their mother back from the dead, which is forbidden, mm-hmm. and so then they pay these they they pay the this this price. Um, so one brother gets his soul remains, but he gets his so his body gets trapped um, in this like uh, other plane, and his soul is then bound to this metal armor. And then the older brother loses his arm and his leg and then has to wear auto mail, which is like a, it's a prosthetic. Yeah. Um, but they, in doing so they get these, these, their allomancy, allomancy. Nope. Alchemy powers. <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever. Um, become heightened. So they, you know, so like as, as young uh, or like the older brother is like the youngest, um, uh, alchemist. Uh, and it's and it's because he's like uh, seen this truth oh, is referred to throughout it. So like in breaking this taboo, he sees the truth. And so the story is about them uh, kind of reconciling that. And then it also uh, is there's a larger plot with the like government. Um, anyways, I, I I don't really want to like get into it, but um, like the story, I mean, because it's really good and you should read it and or watch it. Um, but it's great because again, it establishes those things. Like you can't make something out of nothing. And if someone does do that, um, it's, it's not them jumping the shark. It's, there's a reason and you see that there's a consequence. Yeah. So it's like, you think it's something coming out of nothing, but actually it's right. Like they lost their arm and their leg or, you know, this is where like you could puzzle through the solution if you had all the information. Exactly. And part of it is getting the information. Like, part of the story is finding out, like, well, this person, this person did that. And then you, you know, and then you learn, like, yeah. because oh, they of really the metal arm. No wonder. Or whatever. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting this concept that magic has a price, and specifically the price is pain. Like, I, I can think of a several different uh, stories that have that as their, like, main motivator. Specifically, uh, Daughter of Smoke and Bone, which I talked about uh, a couple times, but it's 
you, you, the story starts out, there's this girl you're following around, and, like, there's something super weird about her you don't really understand. And then she, like, at one point walks through, through a door, and there's this demon, basically. He's not a demon, but he has horns and he's red, so uh, you jump to conclusions. <laughs> um, but he's, he's a wishmonger, and he wants teeth. And that is her job on this earth, is to find teeth for this wishmonger uh, to trade. And so she, like, um, she trades for wishes. So someone gives the, her, their teeth to her, and she gives them a wish. And without spoiling it, because there's a whole lot going on there, the, the wishes are made with pain. So mm. basically somebody's pain has been packaged into this, like, disc or whatever, and they, uh, it is, you know, used later as a wish. Yeah, no, um, I was just thinking of another book series I was recently told about, and I can't remember exactly uh, what it was called, but I'm going to look it up right now. But basically the concept was that, like, there were magicians, here we go, Jeff Summers, We Are Not Good People. Um, <laughs> okay. And it's basically about these, like, this guy was, I didn't, I've never read this book, but he was telling me at length about it. Uh, but basically it's it's like there are like blood mancers well, basically like if you cut yourself you can use the blood as like the catalyst for a magical uh, attack or something right right so like um so like it, uh, it's interesting because like in that case like you obviously have to have the pain to like extract the blood yeah but then also it's a self-leveling mechanic where it's like you can't use too much of your own blood or else you die yeah so you oh, can't yeah. do too much magic but then people get around that in the book by, like, having people around them who are non-magical, whose, whose purpose is just to, like, cut themselves and bleed so that the magical guy can use their blood as magic and yeah. be super-powered in a battle. And uh, it's interesting, talking about the blood or pain is the price. Yeah, there it, in the comic uh, Runaways, which is, I, I haven't read it all, but the beginning is real interesting. One, uh, it's a X-Men kind of mutant deal, but a lot of it is very magical. And one of the characters, she can do magic with no limits, uh, except that she has to use a different spell every time. So she can't do the same spell twice. And like twice ever or twice in a row? Ever. Ever. Interesting. And she has to... Blood calls the magical wand from her. So she has to be bleeding. So at, what is this? There's uh, it's called the Runaways. It's actually really good. There's a raptor in it. It's great. Um, but at a certain point, she just they're in battle and she just like pulls the wand out of thin air and they're like, "Are you bleeding?" And she's like, "Don't ask." Yes. <laughs> like, oh, ah, gross. None of your business. Like, None of your business. Um, but yeah, I think that's a common theme with a lot of things is that, um, is that by John Grisham? Is that what you said? No, it's, uh, no, by Joss Wheaton actually. It's Joss Wheaton and someone else, Some but, um, here. it's his run, I think of the runaways, but I think they're making a TV show out of it. I really wish they would. It's really good. We've got a, a something written here called Eden of the East. What I is that? don't know. I think, I think that might've been one I put in there. One, well, and I, I want to put that in there to kind of maybe, I want to discuss it because like in that, in that show, that anime, um, the magic is not magic at all, but just like gobs and gobs of money. It's like, oh, right. It's yeah. the, uh, Bruce Wayne version of being a superhero. That's right. Magical powers. 
So basically, these guys are given like endless sums of money to do with whatever they want, and their their only mandate is to make the world a better place. But how they go about that is like wildly different between each of them. And they've got these like special phones where they call into. Yeah. And they have like crazy voice activated security, whatever. But um, but they can just say like, "Hey, I want um, I want jets to fly over Tokyo," and like it just happens. Yeah. Like, some some kind of automated system will contact whoever can make that happen and then pay them a bribe that's appropriate to the task and jets will fly over Tokyo. And it happens without fail every time. So they basically have like a wish-granting telephone. Yeah. But the only magic involved is like money. money. <laughs> like mad money. Like there's one point where one of the guys, because there's like four or five of these dudes and they all like have different opinions about what will make the world a better place. And so at one point, one of the guys calls in like an airstrike on Tokyo to like destroy the city. Oh, wow. And um, using his magic phone, and another guy on his magic phone goes up and stands on top of a building and calls in, like, an orbital laser cannon or something that can shoot down the missiles that are being yes. shot at Tokyo. And so he's standing on the top of the tower just, like, pretending to shoot down these missiles with his finger while the jets are flying over and trying to blow up Tokyo. Wow. And it's, like, it's, like, very clearly magical, but also, like, it's not blood-related. It's money. It's not, like, blood omancy. It's... Money-o-mancy. It's money-o-mancy, which is a thing. Which is the real, which is the real magical reality. That's exactly true. Like, but like, if you, the, you, but like a lot of, that's like a common thing though, right? Like, um, Doctor Strange has like actual magic, but then Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark have money-mancy. Yeah. Yeah, they just, they're money-mancy. And they exist in the same, you know, whatever, like Marvel or DC. Exactly, They exist together. So like Superman and Batman Hang out. Yeah. Right. And that, Superman has, like, actual superpowers, which may or may not be magic, but that's why, that's why I use Doctor Strange, because, like, Doctor Strange is actually, like, magic magic. <laughs> <laughs> but also, he exists in the same realm and, like, with the same level of importance as Tony Stark, who is just a money mancer. Money mancer. Yeah. And money and science. Like, Batman can arguably be one of the toughest, you know, superheroes in right. the DC universe, and he doesn't have any superpowers. He's just a money manager. I actually heard it described uh, interesting in an interesting way. It's that these guys can buy lesser superpowers, but they can buy enough of them to become superheroes. Yeah, yeah. In true. the form of gadgets. They buy, like, super armor that makes them strong, or, like, you know, a, a, ga- a grappling hook that, that makes them, lets them fly, or whatever. You know, yeah, they buy yeah. minor superpowers and, like, combine them in such a way to make themselves. I have a couple more. One is the the series that is uh, it's a fantasy series, but basically the gods choose their champions, and uh, they can they don't really give them superpowers, but they give them magical aid. For instance, in one uh, my favorite series, the main character is the champion of the trickster god, and like uh, he doesn't give her any superpowers, but he does give her the ability to talk, or he gives her a crow who teaches her how to speak crow. Cool. So she can talk to the crows and the crows do her bidding basically. And then one crow, it's kind of cute because one crow starts falling in love with her, his, her teacher, her teacher crow. And he is like trying to romance her in crow ways and it's not really oh. working. <laughs> and so he'll like, he'll like sit on her shoulder and like flick his wings and like do a little, you know, mating dance. And she's like, Get, oh, you're so cute, you know, get off. And he's like, this isn't working. So he turns himself into a human 
in oh, order dope. to do that. And then he like tries human ways, and the, she's like weirded out because he used to be a crow. But yeah, she's like. <laughs> Don't just go around kissing people because that means something here. I know you saw other people do it. He's like, I know what it means. <laughs> like, I'm doing it so, on purpose. Yeah, it's so Aww. cute. It's, it's the crow romance is just my favorite part of this book. <laughs> I, see, I love the idea, though, of him, like, turning into a crow and not using But, like, if he... <laughs> like, in my brain, when you started this, I thought you'd be like, oh, yeah, and then he didn't know how to do, like human woo you know <laughs> so like he did so like he's trying to do the crow version and human form which is just him like showing up like flashing people <laughs> like you know it's like, like woo! no he he tried right to... look I, I got what you need and everyone's like no. no like animal kingdom fine that's how you do things human people do not do that without severe consequences he does try that he's like uh i i chewed up this you know piece of food for you I'm going to mate feed you now. And she's like, no, no, I can eat my own food. That's cool. I'm good. I'm good. And so he moves on to human ways. But um, and the way that he explains it, him turning into a crow, is like, what makes you think that they can't, the rest of the crows can't turn into crows? They just can't turn into people. They just like being crows. Like, they're crows. <laughs> and they don't want to be people. I want they're to be, crows for a reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Aww, so, so he did it for her. Did it for her. Do they get? They, do they get together? They do get together, and they have weird Good. babies. <gasps> oh, I'm gonna read this now. <laughs> it's my favorite, um, dude. I'm. I just want to point out too. It's like, do they do it? I'll read it. This is exactly what happened with that Mordred book, which is like, oh, do they do it? He gets on. He, he gets it on with Lancelot. I'll look into I'm this. Here for it. Um, another one that I uh, wanted to talk about, and this is a concept that I don't see very often anymore, but it seems like an old school kind of deal. In one of these books that I read, um, it's a series by Mercedes Lackey, and they have a sword that is cursed. It's not really cursed. It's a, it has a mission. And so whoever owns it has to follow the sword's mission. So the sword sword's mission is that whenever it sees a woman in trouble, it has to help them. Like, no matter the situation. And so, in a lot of, like... <laughs> Even if a sword is totally useless. Yeah, in that situation. So, like, for the person who gets the sword is, like, a mercenary, and she's not pretty excited about, like, the sword sending her off on random missions. But she she's, like... I guess she's, like, soul-bound to it, so she can't get rid of it. And so it leads her into all of these situations. And then, at one point... She is, like, in the court of a king, and a messenger comes and is, like, we really, from another country, and is, like, we really need your help, blah, 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 um, please help our country, and the sword is, like, you need to do something about this, and the king is, like, um, we can't help you, we don't have the resources, and so she stands up and starts, like, telling state secrets until the king agrees to help, like, yeah. she can't help oh. herself. So it's it's an interesting concept of like the this inanimate object has an agenda and will not, you know, let it go. What kind of magic is that? Is that sympathetic magic or is that uh, what's the other one? Contagious magic. Contagious. I think it's contagious magic because the 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 reason the sword is the way it is is because the sword maker uh, killed herself on the sword and like imbued oh. her. You find out later and view her, uh, like, 
essence in the sword. So it's like carrying a bit contagious. of that person. Yeah. Oh, but you know what that kind of reminds me of too is like kill a kill. What's that? Oh With yeah. Like uniforms. That's totally true. Like in kill a kill, the the there requires blood. Yeah, it requires blood, and it's like so. There's like a, the it's like a it's like a version of a super suit, and it like gives you enhanced abilities. Okay. Um, but it's also like, uh, well, at least the the um, character who we I guess the protagonist, it's it's sentient, and it like talks to her and guides her in some ways, and then I forget. Do you remember? How she like activates it because she's like she wears it as like her school uniform, but then like oh yeah, when she's she got, like, like activates a, it, it like it's really like she's got like, a thing on her wrist, like, sexy that like cut she can cut her wrist and it basically feeds the. the That's machine. right. Yeah. yeah. What is this from? It's an anime uh, it's called an anime. Kill the Kill, and it's like extremely good with the caveat that it is and her sword is magical. It is what as hell? Fan servicey as hell? Oh yeah. Well, like the the protagonist's outfit is just like nothing really. And she comments on it too. Yeah, but it's self aware. Like, Jesus, you know. And like it's it, uh, but... equal opportunity sexy. Like okay, there okay. there comes a point where like nobody wears clothes. <laughs> All right. Like as a as a plot point though, not as like a thing that happens because it's just what we want to see. But like, is there's an important reason nobody wears clothes? Okay. Okay. Which, which is, it's like, so it's self-aware about, like, how yeah. fan service it is, yeah. but also, like, it's not gratuitous because it's part of the plot. Part of the plot. There was... Yeah, yeah but, like, she, she comments on it, and she's like, does the skirt have to be so short? And then the, like, the sh- the clothing, which is talking to her, is basically like, quit your bitching, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, I'm giving you magical powers, but she has this, like scissor sword and it's like so imagine like you know when you have a pair of scissors if you like you know sometimes like you can take them apart to like wash them or whatever yeah. like kitchen shears so she has like one half of this like scissor sword and so the the suit also makes it magical so it can like grow in length or you know it, it makes it so that her this her weapon is also like uh gets more badass oh cool so it's that's yeah, definitely it's like really uh... That's definitely like sympath or contagious magic, right? Because you're using yeah. blood. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And it's and it it's kind of like too. It reminds me of Mistborn too, in the sense that like you can, it's manipulating and enhancing yourself. But like if you're not like you can, you know, with like the Mistborn uh, alamancy, like you can burn pewter and it will make you stronger. But that's it's not sustainable because eventually your actual physical muscles will break mm-hmm. um so and so like in kill a kill like you know it's kind of like i'm i'm weakening it's like yeah because you're running out of blood you know so there are these like <laughs> there's you limits know, there yeah. are these like consequences uh, yeah limits set into it so again it kind of that balance of like it's not that like oh you put on the suit and you become all powerful <laughs> it's like there are limits you yeah and you have to be while, smart yeah. enough to work within them or to know when to use them you know know when to push yourself know when to pull back well, I think that's a good place to stop. Um, we are going to do a magical system in sci-fi at some point, but in case uh, we ha- this is a re-record because we recorded it once and the audio was just crap. So um, yeah, uh, goodbye, listeners. That is all. The end. We love you so much. Bye. Bye.